would you want to hear if Jesus was going to write you a letter? Wouldn't you want to hear like all the good stuff? Hey, this is you. You're great. You're doing all these things right. And I just want to commend you on how wonderful you're doing. But I believe it's just as important to know what we're doing that may break communication with God. That may, he's not going to get mad at us, but it may be the thing that keeps us from having that relationship that we all desire to have. And Jesus, through John, is writing letters to the seven churches. And these churches are going to get a rundown on how they're doing. And Ephesus is the first church. We're going to go through all seven of them, but Ephesus is the first one. Ephesus means desirable. And that was a good name for the city. It was a desirable city to live in, to go to. It was a resort city. It had a population of somewhere between 200 and 250,000 people. That was a big city back then. It was probably the second largest city in the known world back then. And so here is this great city. They had a temple uh, to Artemis was the god that they worshipped. It's uh, also Diana that we may... Do you remember when Paul was there and they all got into a tizzy and they were all shouting for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians and, and all of that fun. Good times had by all. Ephesus had a coliseum that held over 20,000 people. That's huge uh, for a time back then. The, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world. So this was something really marvelous. It was uh, right there on the bank of, of the Aegean. And uh, Paul had planted the church there in Ephesus. And it's probable that the other six churches that are written of by Jesus, uh, written to by Jesus, are six churches that were church plants out of the original Ephesian church. Today's message is titled, Do the First Works. And we continue our study through the book of Revelation with chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Where we read, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And so Jesus is talking about himself. Uh, we read about that in the previous chapter at the end when he 
tells us the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so the angels or messengers, the theologians can't decide on whether we're talking about pastors of those churches or actual angels that are watching over the churches. And that's kind of a cool concept. I want to know who the Calvary Chapel Fountain Hills angel is. <laughs> what does he look like? You know, what, what kind of sword does he have? You know, and, and I don't know if that's even the case. But I know there are many angels that watch over us, that protect us. And the message is, take this message and give it to the church. And so he's saying these things are from Jesus, who's in the center of these lampstands. Remember, lampstands don't give off light. They hold the lamp that gives off the light. So when you consider the fact that it's not talking about light, who is the light? He is the light. Jesus, he's in the center of those lampstands. He's the one that is in communication. So we know that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He is in the center and he knows everything going on with those lampstands, with those churches. Isn't that frightening? So getting this letter, that would be kind of, oh, he knows. Verse 2, I know your works. So he's telling them, I know. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. We want the letter to end right there. Bam! Right? They're like, oh, all right. That's all good stuff. That's, that's the stuff that I want to hear as you know, someone that would be in the Ephesian church. I would want to hear all the wonderful things. He knew what was going on, the trials that they were enduring. He said that you labored, you have patience through the trials. That's one of the toughest things, especially in our microwave society today, to have patience. Even the microwave is slow now, isn't it? <laughs> and it doesn't taste good when you get the, So we come up with new ways, air fryers and convection. We have to come up with the fastest way to cook things. And uh, it doesn't taste better, but it's fast. Do we want things fast? Or do we want to endure so we get the best out of what we're doing? And that's what he's saying. You are patient through what you're going through. And because of that, you're learning, you're growing, you're being enriched, you're being blessed because of 
your patience. He knew how they labored, it says. And laboring, see, some people say, okay, donations are how we labor. You know, we give, and that's great. And that, that's very helpful. We enjoy and appreciate donations because that's what helps us pay for the air conditioning. And, um, you know, that we have a building that we have to take care of. We have a lot of stuff that goes on. And God uses your donations to take care of that. God uses your donations to meet the needs of people who have needs. And so it's a blessing to others, even though you may not know. That's a blessing, but that's not the laboring that we're talking about here. Uh, He's talking about participating in labor, ministering and being part of the body of Christ. And we have many people in here who are part of the body of Christ and also minister in a way of laboring. They take care of things around the church. You don't know what they do because you don't see them doing it. A lot of it happens outside of Sunday service. And so there are people that set up the coffee and then people that take and put the coffee away, clean things up, and people that clean the church and, uh, and take care of all of the details that you're just used to coming into and seeing it and saying, oh, well, it's, everything looks good here today. And it's because of the labor of those who participate and help out. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and people are willing to do all of that because they're doing it not for me. They're doing it for the Lord. You know, people come and ask me, hey, can I do this? Can I, is there any way that I can help out? And I let them know, and, and it's appreciated. But everything that people do is for the Lord. So I don't um, take credit for the stuff that gets done. I'm not the overseer. Of, I'm not the project manager. Okay, I'll give that to Jesus. I am just his instrument to allow people to help. And so when people want to labor for the Lord, that's a great thing. And it's between you and the Lord. And it's recognized. You see, here we see the Ephesian church. It's being recognized by Jesus. I know you guys labor. You do things. And it can't be done by just one or two people. It needs a team to be doing these things. So they were also patient. And patience means I'm not going to rush what God is doing. Sometimes we want to rush God. All right, God, I finished this. You had me do this. I finished it. Now what? I did that years ago. I was in the Navy, and I was on a ship in the Persian Gulf during the Gulf War. I had the opportunity to hold Bible study for 10 months every single night because the captain of the ship allowed me to use the library to hold Bible study 
every night. And we held Bible study every night for 10 months. And I thought, this is what you want me to do, God. This is the ministry you have for me. And so when I got back home, I was like, all right, I'm all ready. And he said, okay, you're done. And what? What do you mean? I'm ready. I'm, and he said, that's all. That's all I wanted to use you for right now. Now go and learn and go and prepare for what's next. How can I prepare if I don't know what it is? Just stay in tune with my word, with my spirit. And it was years, years before I started being used again in a new ministry. And so that's just how God works. So Jesus was aware of all their works. Nothing gets by him. He isn't like, oh, you did that? No, no he, he's fully aware of everything going on. And they weren't a bunch of quitters. In the modern day church, we have that problem. A lot of churches quit. A lot of pastors leave the ministry before they should. Now, there are some pastors that shouldn't be in the ministry in the first place. They went to school, they studied, they got an education so that they can go into the ministry and make a career out of it. And that's not how we're called into the ministry. I didn't start a church until I was, what was that, 53? Uh, uh, No, I was, yeah, somewhere around 53, 52, when I planted this church. No. Huh? Oh. I have to ask my wife these things. The details, she knows. I just, I'm just going along with this. So, um, you know, the modern day church, people just give up too quickly. Uh, They don't stick it out. And that's why we need to have patience. We don't know what God is going to do in the future. The first year, the few people that were in the church uh, were like, you know, wow, are we ever going to grow? And I don't know, it's not up to me. So, you know, when God does, that's when it happens. And so God has been faithful as we continue to be faithful. In verse 2, Jesus mentions that the Ephesian church couldn't bear people who were evil. It, It seems like evil is on display today. You know, we recognize evil, Hamas, okay, evil. That doesn't take, uh, you know, a a lot of thought about evil. But what about all the people that are in the streets supporting them right now, all over the world? Uh, See, I give them a little grace in that they're stupid. (laughs) If you happen to be one of those people watching online... Go get an education in the history of Israel and then you will know that you're incorrect in what you believe. Palestine actually was Jews and Arabs living in that nation. It was Jews and Arabs together. As a matter of fact, I saw a Palestinian banknote the other day 
all of the lettering on it was in Hebrew. And it said Palestinian banknote. Uh, so the Jews were known as Palestinians also. Uh, so when they say it's their land, they would be incorrect. And they've had five times to have their own land. They were given an opportunity five times to actually um, have a piece of land given to them. That's not what this is about. This is about the extinction of Israel, of the Jews. That's all this is about. And so, uh, you know, I'm not talking politically. I'm considering who God is and who the children of God have been for many, many years. And we have been grafted in. Isn't that cool? He sees us the same way. He loves us the same way. But they are still, they have a special place in his heart. And that's, and also, so we need to, so if we don't support them, if we don't pray for them, if we don't bless them, then we're going to be cut out too. We don't want that. So that's the kind of evil that we're seeing right now. What would Jesus say about the modern day church? Many churches are inviting people to live in sin while they are attending their church. And then they accept them and even incorporate them into the church, even though they're living in sin, the sin that the Bible defines as sin. It doesn't matter what I define as sin. It matters what the word of God defines as sin. And so if the Bible says this is a sin and we're doing it, we need to stop. That's called repenting and turning away from sin. I, I can't imagine what Jesus is thinking about these churches that, well, they had the problem here. They had the problem where there were people in the church that were liars that were trying to deceive people and draw disciples away from the truth and to follow their lies. So he's telling the seven churches to be set apart from the world, to be different, to be sanctified. And we would be no different if we allowed the same sin into our church and then condoned it or supported it. The church in Ephesus was doing all the right things, but now Jesus has some bad news. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So that word, nevertheless, it, it's, we use the word, but. So Jesus was saying, but I have this against you. You know, we, we don't like to hear but after hearing a bunch of good stuff. Because that means there's something bad coming. And that's what Jesus is telling, I have this against you. You left your first love. And our first love must be God, always. 
We can't put anyone else on the pedestal where God belongs just to say, well, I'm loving them the way I love God. Well, that's not acceptable. Now, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love our spouses. We're supposed to love our family. We're supposed to love our enemy. That's hard. Well, it's better not to have enemies then, right? So then you don't have to worry about loving them. But the reality is we don't love the way God does unconditionally. That's really what we're called to do. The agape style of love. We're called to love in such a way that it's unconditional. And when we get to know people, we find reasons not to love them that way. Right? You know, they don't have, have you, have you ever tasted their lasagna? Oh my goodness. Really, stick to Chinese food because lasagna is it's an art and, and that just doesn't taste good. You know, I still love you. Um, the way God loves us is that he looks past all of our shortcomings and there are many because he sees Jesus when he looks at us. Is that cool? You see, that's the only way that we could make it, period. That's the only way, is if we had a representative that was acceptable to him, and that's Jesus. Because looking at us, he sees all of our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I'm not even gonna get into what that means, but it's not good. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus reveals the greatest commandment. He said, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And so when we consider, what other commandments are there, Lord? Oh, then he gets down to the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, man, I'm going back to number one because... <laughs> That's hard. That's hard to do. Well, it's impossible for us to do it on our own. The only way we can love that way is through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. And, and we're never going to be able to do it until he completes the work that he began in us. Once he completes that work, then we'll be able to... But we have sin. And we experience sin on a regular basis still, even now. I know most of us think we're pretty good. But, you know, I, I, I look in the mirror and I know. You know, is the mirror dirty or is it just me? And usually it's just me. Because my wife cleans the mirror all the time. She wants to make sure I can see myself for who I am. So the Ephesian church, they were doing good, but the good wasn't good enough to cancel out the bad. You know, it's kind of like when, 
couples having a spat. And, you know, words are said, the husband is being a jerk. And um, usually that's what it is, right? See, I I knew I would get buy-in from that. Um, So, and he goes and buys flowers. And he picks out a beautiful bouquet and then comes home and his wife is there and he throws them on the counter and says, hey, here you go. Here's some flowers for you. You know, we good now? It didn't cancel anything out. You know? You're going to need a vase for those. Oh, there's the vase. So, you know, the, the good thing that we do doesn't cancel out the bad thing that has happened. And so, but Jesus made a way. He made a way to cancel it out, to, to forgive us, to cleanse us. So we just have to buy into that. He tells the Ephesian church how to correct the problem. First, remember from where you have fallen. You know, and that's important for us to remember where we came from to where we are today. Remember the prodigal son. He left, he took the money, he went out and partied and so on and so forth. And then the next thing you know, ran out of money, famine in the land, he's eaten with the pigs and, and he's like, you know what? I had it so good. I had it good at home. You know, my, my father's servants are doing better than me. And so he remembered where he came from. He remembered where he fell from. And now he's able to go back and be restored. Second thing is we have to repent. We have to stop going in the direction we're going that's the wrong direction and turn around and go to God. We have to turn back to Christ because that's the only way we're going to find our way is going back to where we fell from, and then going right back to him. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. I don't do a lot of altar calls and and raising of hands or anything like that because I don't want it to be uh, just a one-moment thing, okay, yeah, I'm saved now. No, it's something that takes place here in our hearts and then it's a lifetime choice that we make to live for Christ. And so I don't make it into this momentary thing, but if you have never given your life to Christ, today is the day of salvation. You can come to me and pray. You can come to any of the other believers in here and say, you know, I, I need prayer. I need to pray. And they would be more than willing to do that because we know that's our only hope. It's not what we're doing. It's what he's done for us already. We need to repent. The only way that we can really repent is know what we're repenting from. The problem for them is that they've 
left their first love. Jesus is not on the podium. They put something or someone else there. And that happens to many of us, even in our Christian walk, where something distracts us from where we're going to focus on the events of the day, to focus on education, to focus on finances, to focus on whatever it is, marriage, to focus on something that isn't God. And once we put our focus there, it's hard to focus back where we need to be because all of our attention is going to that thing, that person, whatever it is, and we get distracted. That's why we meet here on Sundays, not so that I get something to do on Sundays. I know that some of you are you know, grateful that I come and teach on Sundays, and I know because you've blessed me greatly, but that's not why I do it. I don't do it for this, for this show. I come here to teach because I want to fill people with the information that can help them in their spiritual walk with the Lord. That's why we get together. Because this is the good news. This is the information that will help us make it through this world. And I want to share that. I'm excited about sharing good news every week. It's awesome. But at the same time, I've got bad news sometimes. Sometimes the bad news is we've left our first love. We have been distracted by the things of the world. We can get distracted by the news. Have any of you been distracted by the events going on in the world? I know I have. I know I watch things and I read, and I get riled up. You know, I was in the military. I get riled up. You know, I worked with the Marines. I was in the Navy, but I brought the Marines to shore when we uh, went to Kuwait and they went in and did the ground invasion in Kuwait, we brought the Marines there, tanks and Humvees and all their equipment and everything, and we dropped them off and they went in to Kuwait. And uh, it was um, awesome to work with these guys. Many of them came to my Bible study. And so when we were going back home, they came and told me the stories of the things that went on there. And many of them, it was the Lord who helped them through those times. The dark, all right, one, one story. They pulled in with the Humvees and they were building a, a line with the Humvees and they came in and as they pulled up, they were getting out of the Humvee and the driver grabbed the passenger and grabbed him and pulled him in and said, something's wrong. Wait. They had driven into a minefield 
And outside the driver's side door and the passenger side door were two mines right there, outside their doors. They had driven right in between them. And if they would have stepped out, they would have both died. And the Lord, these were two guys that were in my Bible study. And the Lord saved them that night. And uh, just stories like that give me chills of, of what took place during that time. And that was the Lord. People being focused on the Lord, even though they knew they were going into battle. They were going into war. They were focused on the Lord still. And so, uh, you know, my Bible studies weren't that good. But, you know, I was just starting out, you know. But, um, but it was just the richness of ministering together with these guys. You know, just, it was the word of God that was feeding us. So uh, I, I was very blessed during that. So sometimes people act like they're repenting by being nice and loving, but there's no change of heart. Now, remember we talked about the lampstands and Jesus said, I'll take away your lampstand. Uh, That's not good news uh, to be taken out of communication with the Lord. It's not talking about losing salvation, but we have to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And he's going to tell them, I knew you not. You know, that's not what we're talking about here, losing the lampstand and being taken out of salvation. That's not, but a church can lose its impact and its effectiveness in the community if it's not staying true to the word of God. If it just starts to water things down to make people feel good, uh, to tell people what they really want to hear, not the truth, and people get watered down. And a How are you going to go out and bring people into the church and tell them the truth? How are they going to be saved unless there's someone that's going to tell them the truth? And that's the problem with the church today. There are many churches out there that aren't telling the truth, that aren't staying focused on the word of God. The power isn't in what I say, it's in what the word of God says. And I'm just reading the word of God and sharing the word of God in such a way that people understand what we're talking about here. And so when we look at what Jesus was talking about with the church at Ephesus, they were doing everything right except the main thing, putting God first, putting him as the love of their life. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Nicolaitans mean rulers over laity. And and basically, it's saying to conquer people. That's what the actual word means. It's nikolaites. And 
It means to conquer people. Well, we know that there are churches that are like that. They lure people in and then they tell them what to believe. And, you know, you can't believe something different than what we tell you to believe. I know Christian churches that use the name of God and Jesus. I know other churches that the Catholic Church is unfortunately guilty of this also, where they tell people not to read the Bible, and they will tell them what the Bible means. I was on a a Facebook page the other day, and I was reading this discussion between people, and, you know, someone gave the truth, and this person said, no, that's not true. And they said, well, it's right here in the scripture. We're not allowed to read the scripture. What do you mean you're not allowed to read the scripture? We're told we're not allowed to read the scripture. And it was all about the worship of Mary, is, is what the actual conversation started out at on the worship of Mary as the virgin and she is, um, we can pray to her and so on and so forth. But that's not what the Bible says. There's no place in the Bible that says that. There is one intercessor for prayer and that is the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only intercessor that we need. Besides that, if I die and go to heaven, please don't pray to me. I'm going to ignore you. I'm not even going to hear you. But so, you know, that's if God says that's who I hate, I hate people that misrepresent me. That's what he's saying. Nicolaitans were people that were misrepresenting God, and I hate them. Jesus may be speaking to you in verse 7, when he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That may be personal. He may be saying, listen to this. Because I personally don't know every one of you and your background and where you came from and what you're going through. I don't know all of that. But I know who Jesus is. And I know that he has the answers that you need to hear. But I'm not the one that's always going to be the person to deliver them. The word will. And if you've left your first love, good time to repent. Good time to turn back around and refocus your attention on who that first love is. It's, this is written to anyone who has an ear. Anyone to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We, we're told we'll overcome. And then he will give us the tree of life. That means eternal life. That we will enter into eternal life uh, because we have overcome. Sometimes we don't feel like overcomers. We feel like we're getting beaten down. We feel like we're in the worst place we've ever been in in our lives. We struggle with maybe coming next week or the week after the things that we're unsure about. There's one thing I'm sure about, that God loves us so much that he is going to get us through whatever it is that we're going through. Whatever the struggle is, Whatever we don't know, 
He's going to help us get through it. And then once it's all done and over with, then we look back and say, oh, he was there. He got me through this. Overcoming is the result of putting God first in our lives. This warning was written to the church at Ephesus, but it really applies to any church and any person. We could take this personally. In closing, we shouldn't make our Bible study a quest for knowledge. Our Bible study isn't to fill ourselves with information. The Bible is a love letter written to change our lives. It's not meant to be retained here. It's meant to be retained here and have an impact here in our lives, in the way we live our lives, in the way we love others. You know what? We are not lovable all the time. I had to put that in there because it's kind of stinky. We, we can be lovable at times, right? But we're not lovable all the time. But God calls us to love and also to receive his love so that we can share that with others. I think that's the most important thing is that when we put him first, we then have him as the example of love that we can give to others. As we remember to do the first works, we'll focus our first love and make him the center of our lives. And that's exactly what God wants for us to do. Amen?